Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Lee Precopio, with Consultant 360. The treatment of patients with community-acquired bacterial pneumonia, or CABP, continues to be a challenge. Factors such as changing epidemiology, point-of-care decisions, and antibiotic resistance contribute to making CABP a difficult respiratory illness to treat. Here with us today to further discuss the unmet needs in the treatment of CABP is Frank Lavecchio. Dr. Lavecchio is a medical director of clinical and community translational research at Arizona State University and the principal investigator for the infectious disease network studies. Thank you for agreeing to answer my questions today, Dr. Lavecchio. What are the unmet needs in treatment, and what are some alternative or new regimens when common regimens cannot be used? Some unmet needs include, you know, there's more and more resistance out there with organisms. I think, you know, we have done very well with antibiotic development. As of late, we've made a lot of new antimicrobial agents. They aren't fully adapted. I think we should consider them, especially in patients who are more likely to have resistance more like that resistance because they've been on antibiotics in the past or they have multiple comorbidities where they live. Are they exposed to the healthcare industry at large? Are they dialysis patients? Are they nursing home patients? Have they been in and out of hospital for other reasons? In those patients, you should strongly consider changing up the regimen or maybe using one of the newer agents. To dive a bit deeper, could you briefly discuss how factors such as allergies, antibiotic resistance, inadequate penetration in lung tissues, and undesirable adverse effects impact the treatment regimens you prescribe your patients with CABP? Some of these points are the most important. You know, if they're allergic to something, obviously don't give it. If you know that there's high antibiotic resistance in your community, or even in that patient to, for example, a macrolide, obviously you can't give that. With regard to inadequate penetration of lung tissues, not all these agents are created equal. Obviously, the lung is where you want it, but we always pay attention to side effects. Almost all antibiotics will cause you know, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Many of them will cause C. diff. C. diff is almost universal in all antibiotics, but it appears to be caused less in tetracycline group. And I think sometimes if patients have had a history of C. diff, which is really, really debilitating, in some patients, I tend to offer more tetracycline class because as a class, it's much, much less. And there are some newer agents out in the tetracycline phase that seem to be pretty safe. The newer agents are a little bit more expensive, but sometimes they're a little bit more convenient. Among which type of patients would you prescribe delafloxacin, omedacycline, or lefamulin? With these agents, I think it's worth giving a brief review. The famulin is first in class. It's been used in animals before, but it's a pure mutilin antibiotic. And it came out for the treatment of community-acquired pneumonia, the patient of strep pneumo, but also it covers MSSA, Haemophilus, Legionella, Mycoplasm, and Chlamydia pneumonia. So I think that's pretty amazing that it covers all of the organisms that you really want in community-acquired pneumonia. It doesn't have the approval for MRSA pneumonia, but there probably weren't enough patients in those clinical trials. And the mechanism maxim is somewhat unique. It attacks this uh, ribosomal bacterial unit, the subunit. The reason why having a mechanism that's unique is it's probably less likely to cause resistance. And it can be given IV, oral, 150 milligrams IV every 12 hours or 600 PO every 12 hours. 
You do have to play with the dose sometimes and may prolong your QT. So you should avoid any patients who are on medication with QT prolongation or have a baseline prolonged QT. Um, it does cause some drug-drug interactions and should be avoided if you're using drugs that are potent, cytochrome P450, 3A4 inducers, or P-glycoprotein inducers. I said a lot of negative things about this, but the important thing to remember is that this is a newer agent, less likely to cause resistance, the bioavailability, if you can take PO, you know, it's quite well. Too soon to tell if you can use it in someone who's pregnant and strongly discouraged at this point. I think when delafloxacin came out, um, delafloxacin is a newer fluoroquinolone, and the fluoroquinolones are good for like strep pneumo, for atypicals. People like them because it's one agent for the typicals and the atypicals. But delafloxacin, it's also good for MSSN. Staph aureus pneumonia, you know, we're always worried about it, particularly in certain susceptible populations. Maybe somebody who's had influenza in the past can develop strep, uh, staph aureus pneumonia. Maybe somebody who uses drugs can have staph aureus pneumonia. And this gives comfort because it will cover MSSA pneumonia. And it could be given IV or orally. It's a 300 IV or 450 oral. It's an every 12 hour drug. You know, but unfortunately, it does have some of the same warnings as the other fluoroquinolone, particularly ligamentous issues, drug-drug interactions, QTC uh, issues. But the advantage, of course, is that it does cover MSSA, and it is one agent. It's made a little bit differently, so there's potential that it has less resistance. I don't know if that's panned out in clinical trials yet. The other drug that is relatively new is amatocycline. And amatocycline sounds like it's just another tetracycline, but it's actually different in the sense that it's a first-in-class aminomethylcycline antibiotic. So it's just like a tetracycline, but it works a little bit different. And kind of go with the understanding that tetracyclines can cause some resistance. And what we're going to do here is change where this amatocycline works. And by doing that, we're less likely to get resistance. So it also has efficacy against MRSA and multi-drug resistant drug pneumo. It also has efficacy against vancomycin resistant and narcocci, covers gram negatives, Legionella, chlamydia. So I think it's pretty exciting. And the bioavailability orally and IV, pretty good if you could take it orally. The only reason you're admitting the patient for many of these agents have that advantage. If you take them orally and they tolerate it well, many of them are once a day or twice a day. And by doing that, you could be more likely to send the patient home. Maybe the borderline patients, when you look at port scores of two and three, you might consider in those patients. Some people even push the envelope. That's the only reason they're admitting the patient for, and they're kind of a port score of four, and they can follow up. They might give one of these newer agents, because even though they might be a little bit more expensive, the advantage would be that you can kind of save them a hospital bed. Their main reason for admission is because they were needing IV antibiotics. How do these three treatment options compare? When would using one be better than another in terms of disease presentations and outcomes? But these three agents are pretty exciting. It's always nice to have newer agents. I think when you have a newer agent, it helps you if there's antimicrobial resistance. Many times you're not resistant to the newer agents. The bugs haven't seen them yet. If you compare all three agents, they're not all the same. Some of them are given you know, once a day, some are given twice a day. And I think the advantages are with, for example, amatocycline, the advantage would be that it's a newer tetracycline class. 
triple-segment like antibiotic, it has a different mechanism, so there's less likely to be resistance to organisms that were resistant to tetracycline in the past. So I would think about that, and I'd also remember that the incidence of C. diff is much less in patients who have been using tetracycline, et cetera. Think about it, if a patient does have history of C. diff, you might want to use an agent that's less likely to cause it, okay? The delafloxacin, the advantage with that compared to other chloroquinolone is that it does cover staph aureus pneumonia in the lung. Okay? That's a huge advantage. Again, unfortunately, it does have all the side effects of chloroquinolone. Most drugs do have side effects, but chloroquinolones are pretty well-defined. The famulin is also attractive because it's got a newer mechanism, and the newer mechanism is less likely you know, to have resistance to some of these organisms that you know, are typically resistant to other antibiotics. I think with lefamulin, it's a newer class. It's one agent for community-acquired pneumonia and staph aureus pneumonia. So it's very important to think about that. The IV and the oral, the transition is pretty clean. The fact that it has an IV and oral formulation makes it easier to switch somebody if they're responding well to the IV. So as far as when you would do one or the other, I think the advantage of these three newer agents is less likely to be resistant. You have to be aware of they had C. diff in the past or at risk for it. Maybe you might err more towards the amatocycline. If they had tendon issues in the past or QTC issues in the past, you have to pay attention to the delafloxacin and uh, that they may cause issues with your QT. A lot of our time is spent on antibiotics and talking about like the best antibiotic, et cetera. What this last year has taught us is that a lot of the basics are very, very important. Good hand hygiene, covering your face when you cough, cough etiquette. But I also think vaccines. I think there's good vaccines for you know, pneumococcal pneumonia, et cetera. You should really, really consider in your patients. And of course, if they smoke, smoking cessation would do much better in most cases than just telling them to take an antibiotic. So just think about that. Think about uh, warning people of the comorbidities, what got them there, are they such high risk because of their general activities, where they live, what they do, are they overdoing with antibiotics for things that would not have required antibiotics? You know, I know some patients are very persistent with their physician, and providers many times just give in and will often give uh, antibiotics when it's not necessary. And we have to have those conversations, maybe have those conversations before they actually get pneumonia. Not everything requires an antibiotic, i.e. viruses, but I think that's come to light more. Thank you for answering all my questions today. Thank you.